Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. I've been a big fan of your work for many years now. Um, I feel like you're really one of the pioneers in this in this field, and then the way your work has developed has been so so interesting, really fascinating. Um, I first came across you. I think it would have been about 20 years ago when you were doing What Doctors Don't Tell You. Do you want to tell us about that project? Sure. Um, back in 1989, well, actually earlier than that, um, I got ill and no one could figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and I went from conventional doctors to the very outer rim of alternative doctors. And I finally... Uh, realized that I was going to have to take charge of this myself if I was going to get better because no one was making me better. So um, I researched what I thought I had and then I researched the, a doctor who I thought might be able to heal me who was a pioneer in nutritional medicine. That was back in the 80s. And he got me better and it was so impressive the way he treated me as a partner and not as a you know a parent child relationship that i started telling everybody about it i was so impressed and i got better and i i just had unknown you know what would have been called a faulty microbiome back then and you know now and that's what it was back then but nobody knew this and um so my husband started saying to me you know stop telling me tell the world so he's also a journalist and we decided to launch what was then a newsletter called what doctors don't tell you and it's been going now since 1989 but since 2012 it's been a magazine and it's in we run the uk and the us edition but it's also in 14 other languages around the world uh, with other publishers who are translating it and publishing it in their countries and their languages so it's been a really, you know, it's been an exciting project to see that it, it's taken off. I think the thing to really note is that back then there basically wasn't any internet. So you were such a lifeline in disseminating this information because it was really hard to find out about this stuff. And I'm sure you were one of my first sources for finding out about things like the dangers of vaccinations and things that are in <laughs> wide, wide kind of you know a lot of people understand now back then i feel like you were really pioneering this kind of new way of thinking well thanks and i'm glad we were helpful um as you say there was no internet that i remember when we were researching i'd have to go to the british medical journal library um where they had all the medical journals and just sit there for a whole day reading uh these journals and photocopying them in great length so uh, it was when the internet came along and journals were put online, it made our job so much easier. I have a book by you as well. I have a What Doctors Don't Tell You book with it, like introductory chapters to all those kind of subjects. Oh, great. Good. Yeah. Uh, I published a book and then updated the book in 2006. Um, but new information comes out all the time, which is... Mm -hmm you know, why we wanted to turn it into a magazine because there's just new stuff. There's so much about energy medicine now. There's new ways of treating things. And the big, the big myth is that conventional medicine has been proven and alternative mm -hmm. medicine has not been proven. And that's mm -hmm. completely not true. Um, mm -hmm. Conventional medicine in the main has very faulty studies or corrupt studies. 
And most of the treatments we take for granted really have absolutely no good evidence to demonstrate they work. Mm-hmm. And for, you know, emergency medicine, conventional medicine is without parallel. You know, if I get run over walking out my office tonight, I want the best of high-tech medicine to glue me back together again. But for just about anything else, um, any chronic illness, there are alternative treatments that are much, much better. And that's what we try to do. We try to provide the evidence for alternative treatments that work. Did you get a lot of resistance back then because what you were saying was so kind of revolutionary? Did you, did you, was it hard to kind of keep putting the information out? Well, it was less, no, we didn't get resistance when we first came out. We were called a voice in the silence by the Times. Um, All of the magazines and newspapers in the UK when we started were applauding us. And usually we would be called upon to come, you know, if there was a debate on vaccination or something, we were always the other side of the story. And we were called upon all the time to come in as so-called experts. Now, um, the media has become much more corporate and there are many more attacks on alternatives. So we've been much more attacked when we turned it into a magazine and it was sitting in, in Sainsbury's and other, you know, grocery stores and other supermarkets. Um, then some skeptics organized a very, um, a very or- orchestrated attack on us. They tried to get us pulled from the distributors. They started to um, call up the stores pretending to be doctors and saying that they were outraged about this publication. And we were pulled from some of the store chains, but our readers were so loyal to us that they started boycotting the store claims <laughs> very, very vocally. And so the stores had to put us back in. And now we're, you know, most magazines in the health and beauty sector are shrinking by up to 20% a year. We are the leading, the fastest growing magazine in the UK for health, all of health and beauty. So that's even the big, big magazines, you know, the big magazine, beauty magazines and fashion magazines. We are the, you know, number one uh, fastest growing magazine. And while other ones are are shrinking, we are growing. So I think it just demonstrates the the need of people to have this kind of information. So what are the typical things that you cover in the magazine now? Oh, we cover everything. I mean, our latest issue, which is out in November, is all about rehearse, reversing tooth decay. And it's, you know, it's new evidence of ozone being used to um, replace drilling and even root canals. So we talk about things like this dental revolution. Mm. We also... Um, look at a a new molecule that could be behind type 2 diabetes and dietary supplements, simple ones that can reverse the condition. Um, We look at household things, you know, we like dangerous chemicals or household mold, as we did this month. Um, We have a feature called How I Beat, and it's always about someone who has beaten some supposedly incurable disease. And this one, uh, this magazine for November is uh, about panic attacks and anxiety. But we've also had many, many stories of people beating everything from cancer and osteoarthritis and multiple sclerosis to Lyme disease, Crohn's disease, mm-hmm. um, back pain, psoriasis, all that kind of stuff that medicine doesn't have an answer for. 
So, you know, we cover that. We have healthy shopping. So we tell people about products that are safer, you know, that don't have all those nasty chemicals in them and exercises to help you with everything from stress to headaches to your gut. Um, we always have recipes of healthier options, oftentimes, you know, usually wheat-free and definitely sugar-free. And um, we cover a lot of energy medicine, too, about <clears throat> how to do some of the latest ways that people are getting healed. So, and then, of course, we just give you safer options for covering, you know, for healing everything from wounds to colds and flu to period pains. Amazing. So people want to get the magazine. What's the easiest way to subscribe? Um, well, uh, in America and the UK, um, you know, you can buy it from us uh, as a subscriber and it will let, you know, we can send it anywhere in the world. Um, and that's, uh, you just need to come onto our website, WDDTY, which stands for What Doctors Don't Tell You, mm -hmm. WDDTY.com is our website and you can find out how to get a subscription there or you can find it in those areas you can find it in your local stores in america barnes and noble whole foods most whole foods is one of whole foods top sellers and one of barnes and noble top sellers um, in the uk most grocery stores now most supermarkets now hold it and um you can there's also an online version you can you can purchase as well so there's many ways to get it. You could just check on, as I say, WDDTY.com. Brilliant, brilliant. So if we can jump forward to the field, the field is one of my favorite all-time books, and I just recommend it to everyone. How can you tell us how you started that project? Like how you how you came because it's such an interesting book and so different from anything else how did you come to discover all that research and put it all together like that no thank you kate and i was, so you're the person responsible for people still buying that book huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it still it still sells quite a lot of copies um in the 90s while i was doing what i was going to tell you because we look at medical evidence I kept coming across um, studies, good studies, um, scientific studies of things like spiritual healing. And I kept thinking to myself, wait a minute, if we can have a thought and send that thought to someone else and make them better, you know, that itself violates everything we think about how the world works. So I wanted to find out how this could be. So I thought there might be something like human energy fields, something as simple as that. Um, and I thought, well, I'll talk to some frontier scientists and they'll be able to tell me how come this, you know, can occur. And so when I started talking to some very prestigious scientists working in consciousness research, all of them had been very conventional scientists, physicists, biologists, engineers, who had come across something that didn't fit the prevailing paradigm. And so they all had the courage to follow what was some weird, you know, square peg that wasn't fitting in the round hole of accepted science. So um, each of them had found a little piece of a new area that together added up into a complete revolution of science. So, because these scientists 
uh, like to stick with their experimental data. They don't like to speculate about what this all means. So I realized very shortly that trying to put this all together was going to fall on my own shoulders. And that was a little daunting for me because I'm not a scientist and I don't have a degree in science, but um, I'm a journalist and investigative reporter by training. And so I needed to bring out of them their stories and also be tutored in quantum physics, which they did. And also they speak in code, you know, scientists, particularly physicists talk in math. And so I had to get them to explain this to me and then also turn this around and make it, ex you know, comprehensible to a lay public. And I made sure that it was correct. I made sure that the scientists read areas of it that were on, under any doubt and the areas that were covering the stuff they did to make sure it was accurate. And I also had independent scientists read the whole thing. So that book really set me on this journey that I'm on now. Um, it really, you know, opened up my mind. It changed the messenger because, you know, if, as I say, I suddenly realized that we are on a brink of a revolution and a very new way of thinking about who we are and how the world works. Can you summarize for people who don't know the book? Can you summarize the Sure. The main thesis of the book is that we aren't a collection of electricity and chemical signaling, as we are told. You know, that's what scientists with a prevailing paradigm tell us. That's what we are. And we're also separate entities in a very well-behaved universe. Um, and we operate according to fixed laws in time and space. And that's how the Newtonian view of the world, the view described by Isaac Newton and adopted up until now, is the prevailing view of how everything works. You know, very well-behaved universe. We suddenly um, have found this new evidence with these scientists, all these pioneers, that we are not that, that we are part of a whole, that we are part of a giant quantum energy field and that we call the zero-point field, and that all of our subatomic particles are now part of this field. And new evidence is coming forward to prove this is the case. We also found from many of these scientists that consciousness is a trespasser. You know, our thoughts are things, not only things, but things that affect other things. That our thoughts are not locked inside our heads, but are possibly transmitted and received. That our brain is much more like a, an antenna receiver rather than the repository of memory and information. That we, the body's currency is frequency. That our molecules connect with each other via frequency, not chemical reaction per se. And that that is essentially a communication system of the body and outside to the world. And also that we're communicating with the body with light emissions all the time. Um, and so all of these things come to really represent a very new way of thinking about ourselves that we there's information that we are part of in this vast energy field that we can access at all times and it makes us understand our understanding of our own human potential is far grander than what we've been told mm, it's so exciting it's so exciting to hear you say it so clearly and um i Thank guess you. logically <laughs> 
something that you know mystics and and um uh, you know spiritual people have understood for always but to hear it presented in such a, a logical way is, is really um mind-blowing isn't it thank you so you, you said you said doing that book set you off on a journey do you want to tell us about the work that you've been doing subsequently sure okay so <clears throat> what i've been doing ever since then is really trying to follow up on my questions, my curiosity, my enthusiasm for this area. Um, and the first thing that was a bit of leftover business was this whole concept that thoughts are things that affect other things. And I kept thinking to myself, wait a minute, you know, at the time I had was thinking about doing some sort of follow-up, um, there was all this information coming around about the power of intention, the law of attraction, manifestation, and basically all that information boiled down to, I want, I get. And I kept thinking to myself, is it that easy? Mm. You know, um, are we talking about, you know, how far can we take this? Are we talking about uh, just shifting a quantum particle or are we talking about curing cancer or healing wars or something like that? So I thought, okay, again, I'm an investigative reporter by background. And that stood me in good stead in this area because I have been a skeptic about it. I've needed to see the proof myself. And I've needed to investigate the science of it to see whether there's proof rather than, you know, just accepting it. I mean, I'm not very woo-woo, actually. Mm. So I started... I decided to not only investigate the information about the power of intention and how to do intention, you know, what do the intention masters do? What does the science show about mind over matter? What are the best ways to do it? But, and I wrote that in the intention experiment, my next book, but I was even more interested in, okay, um, how far can we take this? And also what happens when lots of people are thinking the same thought at the same time. Does that magnify the effect? And that's what I was really interested in, Kate. So I not only set up, uh, I wrote that book, but I set up a great big experiment, ongoing experiment, because I figured, well, I know lots of uh, scientists in this area. I'd interviewed them. You know, a lot of the scientists in consciousness research in working at Princeton and University of Arizona and University of California, Penn State, etc. And then I thought, well, I've got a lot of readers. I, my books are in 30 languages around the world. So if I just put them together, I'm going to have the biggest global laboratory in the world. And that's what I did. I, you know, I started setting up these experiments just to test whether or not we could affect things. And we've run 33 to date. Everything from trying to make seeds grow faster, to trying to purify water, to trying to lower violence in war-torn areas, to trying to heal somebody of PTSD. And I wasn't really sure it was going to work, but it really worked. I mean, of those 33 experiments, 29 have shown positive, uh, measurable, mostly significant effects. Mm. There is no drug out there, no pharmaceutical drug out there with that kind of consistent positive track record. So, so this is groups of people having an intention about something. 
No, no, this is my whole audience coming on onto my website every so often. I created this global laboratory. So every so often we would set up an experiment in one of the labs of one of the scientists, or we would do something out in the field and they would measure it. That's in the case of trying to lower violence somewhere. And then I would invite my, my readers from around the world to come onto my website or YouTube channel or web TV all at the same time and hold the exact same intention at the exact same moment for mm. 10 minutes. And then the scientists, we would blind it sometimes, somehow. So the scientists didn't know, uh, let's say, which target it was. In the case of seeds, we had four sets of seeds and the scientists sent, we, I mean, the, my audience sent intention to one set of seeds that we'd chosen. Scientists didn't know which ones we'd sent it to. They planted all four sets of seeds and then they measured them five days later. And we ran that experiment six times, and every single time the seed scent intention grew significantly higher than the control. Wow. wow. So, and, and the first time I ran that, I ran it in front of an audience. It wasn't my whole internet audience, it was an audience in Sydney, Australia. And what we were sent from the scientists weren't the seeds themselves, of course, we were sent photos of the seeds. <laughs> so we collected one of the seeds, one photo of the seeds. You know, let's say we took seeds A. And we sent intention to that thing and to that photo. And then the scientists planted the seeds and measured it. And we had a significant effect. But think about it. We're in Sydney, Australia. The seeds were in Tucson, Arizona, 8,000 miles away. Nevertheless, those seeds were affected. And also, we weren't sending it to the seeds themselves. We were sending it to a photographic representation mm -hmm you know, a symbol of the seeds, and we were still having an effect. So, so this, this is all in the book. This is all in my latest book, The Power of Eight. And that book is not only about what happened with the intention experiments, but that wasn't even the end of the story. What <laughs> happened with the intention experiments was a weird rebound effect that happened where we started doing peace intention experiments. And um, we've run six of them, and every single one has shown a lowering of violence. Let's say the first one was on um, Sri Lanka, which was going through a 25-year war, and we sent intention to lower violence there. Mainly we chose that because we could get two years' worth of prior record-keeping, so mm -hmm. of injuries and deaths from two years before to six months afterward. They had a very careful record-keeping system. Most places don't want to talk about the bodies in a war, but Sri Lanka had it. And so we were able to get reliable data so that we could see, because you can't just look at what happens a week after the intention. You know, it could go up, it could go down. What you need to look at is a long-term trend. Let's say it was going up or it was going down, and then it changes after, right after your intention. Then you start having something pretty interesting, Kate. So that was interesting, but I surveyed our participants afterward and found that they were, their lives were growing peaceful. You know, not only had we had a, an effect, I mean, it was really interesting with Sri Lanka because our week-long intention, we went for eight days, not only seemed to have a lowering of violence after a big increase of violence during the week, but that big increase in violence turned out to be the most pivotal week in the entire 25-year war. 
because the government won a couple of decisive battles, enabling it to take back the north from the rebel forces, which had been winning up there. And then a few months after that, that whole 25-year war was over. Now, did we do this? Who knows? It's just awfully weird that 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 very week of our intention proved Mm. to be so pivotal. But um, more interesting was what happened to the participants. We had about 15,000 participants from around the world sending intention via my website. And I got back answers from them indicating some sort of weird mirror effect. Their lives became more peaceful as a result of being involved with this. So they started making up with estranged family members and getting along better with their bosses and their coworkers. And, um, you know, making more friends. And mostly what they said was, about half of them said, um, I feel more love for everyone I come in contact with. Wow. So that was amazing to me. That was like, what? How did that, you know, how was this possible? So that was a mind-boggling thing. And it's happened in every instance. Some sort of mirror effect when we tried to do a healing intention experiment for a Gulf War veteran with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, not only did we seem to have an effect, he never went for treatment after that. He was, he was the kind of person who was so hypervigilant. He'd walk in a room and he'd put his head back against a wall and be scanning it all the time. Um, he never went back for treatment. He went traveling after our intention. He met the love of his life and he had a child. You know, oh. Maybe we did that. Maybe we did that. You can't ever say for certain, but it was pretty compelling. But more interesting was the participants in our experiments, they started having these spontaneous healings. They were saying after this experiment, they were getting healed. You know, if they had arthritis, they were, they were walking normally. If they had um, anxiety themselves, they, that was greatly reduced. And, you know, their skin was getting better. Just all kinds of things happened. Terrible gut problem that eased you know i had so many more things like that but the really interesting piece of all of this wasn't even this it was what happened when i started scaling it down to little groups of eight and that all came about by accident kate because um around 2008 i was thinking to myself well i really need to um i need to uh to scale this down for a workshop. But again, I'm a reporter. I didn't know how at the time to run workshops. I've run hundreds and hundreds hundreds of them now, but back then I didn't. And so I'm trying to figure out, well, how am I gonna take all of this big intention experiment kind of experience and put it in a workshop, weekend workshop? People can't manifest a new job in a day. So I thought, okay, well, Maybe I'll put them in, I was talking to my husband one day and I said, I don't know, maybe I'll put them in groups of eight or something and have them send intention to a member of the group with a health challenge. And he, being a good headline writer, said to me, I love it, the power of eight. And (laughs) and that was how it started, honestly. We we had a a workshop in Chicago and we, um, we had the people go into groups of eight and I was explaining to them what I knew about how to do intention because, I, again, I'd studied that from my book, The Intention Experiment, about the, you know, all the different mind and heart states that work the best. But 
as far as small groups, I wasn't really sure what they should do. So I'm kind of making it up as I go along. I'm saying, well, hold hands now. And, um, you know, you should all think the same thought at the same moment and we'll hold it for 10 minutes and all of this stuff. And I was assuming it was going to be a nice little feel good exercise, like, you know, having a facial or something, and having a little <laughs> back rub. But that is not what happened. The next day, it was astonishing. When people came back um, the next day to attend the workshop, we asked them to explain about their experiences, the, the receivers. And the receivers, you know, they had been chosen by the group if they had some sort of health challenge. And they stood up one by one to say things like this. You know, I had terrible arthritis in my knee and I'm scheduled for knee replacement surgery and I walk normally today. Um, I have terrible insomnia and I slept like a baby uh, last night. I have um, awful migraines every day and my head feels completely clear for the first time in years. I have terrible IBS and my stomach feels normal today. And I have cataracts and I'm 80% better today. So... It was that over and over and over again. And I was just shocked by it and very disbelieving. You know, I thought, oh, well, this is just a placebo effect. But then I kept running these and experimenting with it. And everywhere I ran these, anywhere in the world, we had these amazing spontaneous healings. Um, you know, recently we had a woman who had a dislocated shoulder and she felt her, and she was, her pain was like 10 out of 10. And it just went right back into place during this intention, little in group intention experience. We had somebody else with two dodgy knees who could barely walk with them. And she did a deep squat after the event, something she hasn't <laughs> been able to do in years. You know, and on and on, we had a woman who couldn't focus her eyes because she'd had a stroke and she could completely normally after this little wow. So, and, you know, and we also had effects with the, the senders, that was the other in piece of it that was really weird for me. I mean, we had senders with amazing experiences that were, they were finding complete rejuvenation. We had a guy called Wes who was a Vietnam vet uh, from the Vietnam War, 65 when he participated. He was part of an intention group, had wanted to put himself forward as a receiver because he suffered from depression, but he felt one of the women in the group was more deserving because she had stage four cancer. And so he did the sending. Um, and, and by the way, the woman with stage four cancer was then down to stage one the last time I checked. I mean, things have really turned yeah. around for her. But for him, he had, he had had such a traumatic experience. He'd been in, in college studying, at university studying, when he got drafted during the last years of the war, when draft deferments for college students ended. And so he had to go, and it was so traumatic for him. He never finished university. He came home deeply depressed, and his life carried on in this kind of downward spiral, even losing the love of his life, his second wife, to a fast-growing cancer. So he didn't even have her for that many years. And his life, it, he got to the point of feeling sort of what's the use you know, and he, it was hard for him to even get up and make himself breakfast. He's a completely, you know, changed person after participating that one time. First of all, he had very heightened senses, like he'd undergone some sort of weird mystical experience. And he also had a vision the second night after it 
that he'd met his 19-year-old self with all of his high hopes and dreams. You know, he'd wanted to be a doctor or a biochemist. And his, it was kind of a vision. And the 19-year-old self communicated to him, kind of not with words so much as a feeling, that don't worry, there's still time. And when he tells those, when he told me the story, and we actually even filmed him, um, he was a totally different person. He is now doing power walks, 90-minute power walks and lifting weights. You know, he could barely get up in the morning. He is sociable to everybody he meets. He was very antisocial. He is part of, he's meeting regularly with his uh, New Thought Church and doing power of eight groups. And he's trying to write. He's doing, he's just full of all kinds of new hope. And that was just from a single power of eight group. It was really quite amazing. So do you have any theories as to what it is about the number eight? It's not eight, Kate. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, that was just a little thing I pulled out of the air. Maybe that was a, I mean, eight is, you know, beautiful little in, in sideways infinity sign. But um, it works with five. It works with 12. Oh. As long as you have a group. But eight is kind of a nice Goldilocks figure. You know, it's not too big, it's not too little. Um, but the more power, why it works. I mean, it took me 10 years to write this book because I was frightened by all of this and wasn't sure what I was observing. So I kept testing it and studying it and trying to observe it and even having a scientific test of it. And um, there is a number of pieces here I've, I've concluded. One is the power of intention. One is the supportive power of a group. You know, that is no doubt something powerful. A group of strangers intending for you, praying for you, basically. But the really big piece is altruism. You know, most people in this field talk about self-empowerment, self-help. Me, 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 me. And this work is really about other help. Mm. And what seems to happen is when people are part of this group effect, they're giving the receiving and they are healing themselves in the giving and the receiving. Wow. I remember that from the field is that you, in the field you say how, um, oh, I can't remember it now, but it's when someone's, when someone's doing it, they're receiving it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, that is exactly what, what is, what happened really with these. And I found that with, I mean, I put, I, I wanted to test this further. So in 2015, I usually ran a master class of six weeks, but this time with the master class, I put them in groups of eight or so and monitored them for a whole year, had them meet every week for a year. And I watched what happened to their health, their, their career, their finances, their relationships, their life's purpose. And it was really fascinating for me because of that 250 who participated, 150 continued to meet regularly in their groups for the whole year. And of that 150, pretty much 100% of them had major life transformations. Um, but as we were first starting, there were a few people who didn't. You know, they weren't. They, they didn't. They, everything they were trying to intend for and have their group intend for wasn't happening. One of those was a woman called Andy. Who was, she was divorced with young children and needed a new job. 
she just got divorced or was getting divorced. So she was trying to get something in coaching or marketing and she couldn't find anything anywhere. Nothing was working. So, I've, and we tried all kinds of things with her and we finally just said, you know what, Andy, get off of yourself. Start intending for someone else. And there had been a young boy of 15 whose stepfather wrote in about him, um, Luke. And Luke had broken up with his first serious girlfriend. So in a fit of existential angst, he threw himself off a 40-foot structure onto oh. the ground. And Luke broke everything in his body. He got brain damage. He got nerve damage. You know, he was just, no one thought he was going to live. So we set up a healing vigil with this masterclass group, with all of these people on the year-long masterclass. And they sent intention three separate times, while his stepfather, Michael, kept a running commentary about what was happening to Luke. And it, it was amazing. I mean, Luke seemed to undergo major changes every time we did this intention for him. But what was even more interesting was that it was clearly not a placebo effect. I mean, Luke lived got out of the hospital in record time and healed. But, and maybe that was good doctoring, maybe it was us. But what we know is it wasn't a placebo effect because he thought his parents' belief in the power of intention was really stupid. <laughs> so, so, you know, like most teenagers, he was pretty skeptical of mom and dad's beliefs. So that was interesting, but the more interesting thing is what happened to Andy because Andy, as soon as she got off of herself and started intending for Luke, out of the blue, she gets herself an a opportunity, um, an, an offer of a dream job by someone she doesn't even know. So that was amazing. And that happened again and again and again. It was really quite incredible. Mm. Mm. I wanted to ask you that because when you were saying at the beginning about the law of attraction and how is it that simple? <laughs> I want something and I, I get something. Um, and obviously it isn't that simple. How have you, have you put it into practice in your own life? Like how have you seen it manifest in your own life? Well, you know, I think what's really important and I've found it's very important in my own life and everywhere else is to be really specific. Um, and to uh, tell the universe exactly what you want. I mean, most people aren't. Um, and the law of attraction sadly works because most people think, oh, well, I'll do my little power thought with my intention in the morning and then I'll go about my day. And going about their day usually means a litany of negativity mm. of what they're thinking. And, you know, that's what they start attracting. So one thing I've realized is to stay consistently positive, mm. you know, that you are, you're, you're a leaky bucket. So you are, you are leaking out your thoughts all the time and the universe is hearing it. And secondly, what's really, I find really important is also don't dwell on yourself. You know, the real important piece here is the power of doing for others, you know? And so I'm really fortunate because my, my work is very much about doing for others. You know, whether it's our intentions of the week for people who are ill, we, or my, my community does that. Our big intention experiments to lower violence. We've got a new one on November 12th, a Middle Eastern experiment where we're going to have an audience of Arabs, audiences of Israeli Jews, and audiences of Americans coming together to heal an area of the Middle East. 
And so, you know, what I've realized is there's something really powerful about this and extraordinary. Um, I've even seen it bring together, I mean, I ran a Middle Eastern experiment last year for lowering violence in Jerusalem, and I had interactive technology enabling me to put cameras um, so I could broadcast to nine different locations, and I could also see the audiences back, and we could communicate. It was two-way communication. So I had um, cameras in uh, eight conference rooms in eight Arab cities around the Gulf, and the ninth camera was in a, full with an audience of Israeli Jews. And we had, and what was amazing was, you know, yeah, it looks like we lowered violence in Jerusalem when we did this all together. And also my, I used it, ran it on my YouTube channel simultaneously, so people around the world were participating. But more importantly, um, the Jews and the Arabs started sending love to each other afterward. Wow. They started saying things like, your God is my God. Wow. Um, and that was the really big important piece to me. I realized that these big intention experiments are a way to heal divisions. And there's even been some scientific studies showing when you do something altruistic like this and passionate, it activates a whole nervous system complex in your body called the vagus nerve, biggest nerve in your body that goes through all your major organs. And one of the effects of that is to make you more tolerant of people not like you. So for me, what it's done, I, you know, I didn't choose this work. <laughs> it chose me, Kate, yeah. you know. And now I realize, you know, I, I was shocked about the power of eight for all that time and frightened of it for many years. And now I realize, you know, I'm, I, sometimes I feel like I'm taking dictation from the universe, but mm. I realize that my job is to be a gatekeeper here, mm. to make sure that this is given out to the world and also so that people can use this to heal themselves, that they understand that they have a latent and simple capacity to heal. You know, they don't need to study years of, you know, of disciplined meditative practice. They don't need ayahuasca or a sweat lodge. They just need a group of seven or even less and a common intention and miracles will happen in their lives. Amazing, amazing. That's what I was going to say, because I feel like on a personal level for me, it's not so much that I, I manifest things that I decide that I want. It's more that I tune in to the universe. It's more like a conversation rather than me telling the universe what I want. It's more like sure. listening to the universe. Yes. And a dialogue, and that's where the magic really lies in, in yes. rather than telling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. So are you still running workshops at the moment if people are interested in joining? Yes, I'm about to start another, just announce another uh, year-long masterclass. I've run them every year since. Um, and they are, I'm running the 2019 one. It will start on uh, the first weekend of February and it will uh, be an entire year. So it is um, six consecutive webinars with me interactive webinars with me and then a um and then i put people into groups and they get weekly information from me about other things to do and little challenges and experiments to do together and everybody's encouraged to meet every week 
um, the people who do get the biggest benefit. And then I have catch-up calls where people have questions and do all kinds of things like that. So that's kicking off people who sign up to my website, lynnmctaggart.com. We'll find out about that soon. And um, I run one or two retreats a year. We just came back from Tuscany, a week-long retreat, which was wonderful. I think next year we're probably going to do Spain in the Rioja district and stay in an old Spanish monastery, which is now a gorgeous hotel. So we do, you know, people who sign up to my website can find out lots of the, the workshops and the um, retreats and, and the online programs that I'm running. And what about social media? Are you, are you found much on social media? Can people contact you there? Oh yeah. People contact me and, you know, Twitter and, uh, and Facebook mainly and um, Instagram. Absolutely. And they contact me on my website and, you know, I run all kinds of things all the time. We just had a free um, teleseminar with a webinar with me and Greg Braden last night. So there's, you know, I do encourage people. And if they want a group, they want to set up a, a power of eight group and they don't have seven other buddies, um, they can come on my website, lynnmctaggart.com forward slash forum and sign up, either join an existing group in their time zone or set up something, you know, advertise to set up one in their time zone themselves and they can create a virtual group. Brilliant. Brilliant. So if people want to find you on Facebook and Twitter, is it just Lynn McTaggart? It's Lynn McTaggart 2011 on Facebook. Lovely. And Twitter and, and uh, Instagram, I think it's Lynn McTaggart. Lynn, thank you so much for your time. I think your work is just, yeah, really incredible. Thank you so much, Kate. It's really been fun to speaking with you.